Hello there, my name is Megan Bellflower. I am a historical fiction writer and your host of Soda Pop Chronicles. I absolutely love classic TV. When I was little, and I'm sure some of you may have done this too, I would, I would get up early on Saturday mornings and I would turn on TV land and I would watch the reruns of episodes like I Love Lucy, Leave it to Beaver, Mr. Ed, The Munsters, The Addams Family, Dick Van Dyke Show, and I love to do this. Me and my sister would do this. And I guess you could say I was a vintage fan even, even back then. <laughs> Because I was watching old TV shows on Saturday mornings instead of cartoons and Power Rangers or whatever was popular back then. I don't really remember. But I, I just, I really enjoyed it. And so today I wanted to talk about TV, but not necessarily how the television was invented or anything like that but really more on the side of TV censorship and how incredibly conservative and pure TV was back in the 1950s and how and why it ended up that way. Um, it's just, it's so interesting to me and I had a lot of fun researching this and I'll go through the, uh, it, specific examples later that I just find so and not to be like mean but just funny you know when especially when you look at like today's media and how far it's come from from that but the uh, television it was invented in the 1920s which is interesting because I always thought it was invented later than that but I guess I assumed that was true because TVs really weren't popular until like the 1950s. But like all innovative technology, people usually can't afford it until later to when they develop a way to make it cheaper uh, for the average person. And so in 1949, one million TV sets were in use in America. But by the end of the 1950s, Americans owned more than 50 million TV sets. And so you have almost everyone in the United States tuning in to TV programming. And this is when government decided what, what is appropriate to put in front of the eyes of the American public. What is inappropriate? Are children going to be watching these programs? We don't want to expose them to certain things yet. Uh, the FCC, which is the Federal Communications Commission, it was uh, established by Franklin Roosevelt, and it's an independent agency of the United States government, and it was created by a congressional statute. And basically what it does is it regulates uh, all communications, uh, this means radio, TV, satellite, cable. And Roosevelt basically believed that the broadcast or the bandwidth was uh, public property. And this would be just like in the way a national park is public 
property. He believed that the broadcast was public property. And so TV channels and broadcasters had to apply for a license to use part of that public, quote, property. And they would be assigned a specific frequency or channel. But the FCC had all rights to restrict any content that they deemed inappropriate. And they also wanted to establish political fairness on TV, so news programs weren't allowed to sway to one side or the other. It just had to state the facts. And this fairness doctrine was um, removed by the 1980s, so that is why today we can have news programming that slants towards either the liberal side or the conservative side. And so during the 1950s, all obscene programming was prohibited. But they had another category, which was called indecent programming, which was not as bad as obscene programming, and therefore it could be showed on TV, but it had to be showed later on TV so that children would be asleep at that point and there would not be risk for them to see something they shouldn't see. So, and that's kind of in use today. Usually the later the TV show comes on, the um, more adult it is and channels like HBO or even some like online stations are a little bit harder to access for children. Um, so we kind of have something similar to that today. So I want to talk about the different categories of content and, and what and why certain TV shows are placed into these these categories. So the f- one like the I guess the main like the worst category back then was considered obscene content and so this type of content does not have protection by the first amendment so it's not protected like under free speech and so it has to meet this three-pronged test established by the supreme court and so it must depict or describe sexual conduct in a patently offensive way And as a whole, it lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. The next level under that is something called indecent content. And what indecent content has is it it basically it portrays sexual or excretory organs or activities in a way that does not meet the three-pronged test for obscenity, but is still adult in nature so I guess it would be like showing a person's bottom (laughs) Um, and so then we come to profane content which includes um, grossly offensive language that is considered a public nuisance so basically you know dropping some f-bombs or something like that. I don't know. I can't say them on this program. It's not an explicit program. These are the categories that the FCC look at, and this is how they can decide what to put on the air and what not to put on the air. And I'm guessing that some of this 
also goes into what a TV show is rated or what TV channel it goes on or if it just solely goes to the web or goes to special, quote, adult channels, you know what I'm talking about, on the TV. Um, and so with that, I want to get into some famous examples of TV censorship. And so... This is really funny because I would have never have expected the first example that I give you of TV censorship to be a cartoon. <laughs> I, wow, like, I can't believe that. Not even in an adult cartoon either. It's not like they had Adult Swim back then, you know? It's actually Tweety Bird. I'm a tweet with a bird in a deodorant cage. Tweety's my name, but I don't know my age. Tweety Bird's first episode was called A Tale of Two Kitties, and it was animated by a man named Bob Clampett. And so Bob Clampett, when he was coming up with the illustration of Tweety Bird, he initially had Tweety Bird like a plucked bird without feathers. So basically, Tweety Bird was naked. He didn't have any, any feathers. But the uh, Hayes Office of Censorship Bureau thought that, <laughs> that Tweety Bird was too naked. And so Clampett was forced to cover... Tweety Bird with the iconic yellow feathers that we see on, on Tweety Bird today. But it is pretty funny because Clampett, even though he had to do this, he puts in an innuendo in one of his cartoons about his upset over having to conform to the Hayes office. And I'm guessing the Hayes office was part of the TV programming. I'm not exactly sure what that is. But anyway, so so he adds a little innuendo to this um, this big upset that he had over not being able to have his character drawn the way he wanted it to look. And so in... Uh, in this first episode, there is a cat that yells to his partner, Give me the bird, which I'm guessing maybe uh, Tweety Bird was caught by, by a cat and the other cat wanted Tweety Bird. And so the other cat responds, If the Hayes office would only let me, I'd give him the bird, all right. <laughs> And we all know exactly what <laughs> what giving someone the bird means. So I, I thought that was hilarious. And especially for back then, I think Tweety Bird came out in like the 40s or the early 1950s. So and, and this is actually a pattern that you'll see in some old TV shows that some things were put in these shows that weren't noticeable by the public. I remember when I was watching the Dick Van Dyke show commentary that the guys were actually talking about some pretty um, dirty little jokes that were thrown into the script that we didn't even think about really until later 
and you don't even really realize until they start talking about the context they were placed in and it was you know it was it was really quite amusing to hear them them talk about that uh, especially a show that you know again was a show that was supposed to be very innocent like like I Love Lucy and speaking of I Love Lucy which is one of my all-time favorite old TV shows uh, as you all know or maybe you don't know maybe you're not a big I Love Lucy fan but at some point I think I think it's the second season that Lucy is pregnant and she's, she's pregnant in real life, and so they have to write her pregnancy into the storyline of the TV show. Because, of course, the CBS channel probably didn't want to lose all of that, all those episodes and all that airtime while Lucy was uh, away. And so they had to come up with a way to still be able to film her while she was, while she was pregnant. But no TV shows had really ever had a pregnant woman on them. I think there may have been one or two, but of course they didn't have the major uh, popularity that I Love Lucy had. I mean, I Love Lucy was huge, like the world would stop (laughs) while it was on, I've heard. And so one of the most famous episodes now is actually when Lucy tells Ricky that she's pregnant. And believe it or not, this sweet little episode was scandalous at the time. And the CBS executives were not a fan of revealing that Lucy, who slept in a twin bed (laughs) uh, and did not sleep in the same bed as her husband, could actually be pregnant and be showing the, quote, biological consequences of S-E-X, <laughs> of sex. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I just think this is so funny. It's so natural, guys. <laughs> um, apparently, they didn't want anyone to know that Lucy and Ricky, who are a married couple, engage in sexual content and by golly they could have a baby which is really weird to think about since they slept in in twin beds like I don't know how to imagine (laughs) that but we're not gonna get into that seeing this is a a clean show (laughs) um and so the, the name of the episode that, I, that I'm referring to is called Lucy is in Sante. Lucy is in, in Sante. It's a French word. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Lucy is in, in Sante. Anyway, they had to use this word instead of pregnant. They couldn't just have the name of the episode be Lucy is pregnant because they had to dance around that word. Because CBS, quote, deemed it too vulgar for the air. So instead, they used this French word for pregnant in this title of the episode. And so, basically, 
what the TV characters had to refer to Lucy as was expecting or in her condition. They were never allowed to say that Lucy was pregnant. And again, it's just, and it kind of makes me sad because it's like pregnancy is such a natural thing for women and it kind of feels almost oppressive in a way, but uh, I'm not going to go, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Um, and I even heard that priests and rabbis were asked to view footage of Lucy's pregnancy on the show and they had to deem it uh, fit to be televised. Wow, I just, it's just so, it's, it's shocking, you know, like how much they went through back then, especially like, you know, when we look at TV shows today and, and how, how open they are about everything. And even the wardrobe department had to try very hard to cover Lucy's growing belly with these long, like, draping blouses and jackets. Some people even think that maybe certain shots were cut into the show of images of Lucille Ball before she was pregnant uh, or before she began to show, maybe, and that these were sliced into some of the later episodes when it was impossible for them to hide her pregnancy on the show. It's just amazing how much effort went into hiding something, you know, that was so natural and, and really quite quite sweet, especially considering how, how lovable this, you know, couple was back then. But another interesting fact about Lucy that I wanted to talk about, because... A lot of people think, you know, shows like I Love Lucy or all these, you know, old TV shows, you know, people think, you know, they're very misogynistic and very, um, they're not very progressive and things like that. But for the time, some of these shows actually really were. It's, I know it's hard to think about in our context living today, but I found this fact on the internet, which I didn't know. And this goes also goes with TV censorship as well when it comes to I Love Lucy. Something that, that I discovered online that, that really, it deeply saddened me, but this was the way TV executives thought back uh, in the 1950s and 60s. But they didn't consider like a multicultural group when they were thinking about their TV shows, they wanted to only appeal to the American values that they, like, pictured. And this was, you know, white, middle-class American families with two kids and a dog, etc., etc. That was their demographic that they wanted to please. So what they did is they censored these shows to, I guess, fit that demographic. But if you remember, Ricky, you know, Lucy's husband on I Love Lucy, was Cuban. He was not American. When Lucille Ball wanted to have this TV show, she really wanted her husband to be her on-screen husband on the TV show. 
But CBS and its sponsor, Philip Morris Cigarettes, actually opposed this um, and said that the American public just could not accept Desi um, as the husband of, a, of an American girl. And it, they saw this as a multi-ethnic, interracial couple. But what Lucille Ball decided to do is she basically said, if you want me, then you'll have to take my husband too, because that is the only way I'm going to film this show. And so, I mean, that was something I never even considered when I thought about this show. And so that's, I mean, this was pretty progressive, you know, for back then. Uh, and not only that, but Lucille Ball was a woman who ran a production company. Uh, so, yeah, this, this show was uh, ahead of its time. And so with that, the last example I want to talk about is everyone's favorite king of rock and roll, <laughs> Elvis Presley. So there was a show back in like the 1950s and 60s and 70s um, called The Ed Sullivan Show. And they he, and Ed Sullivan would have on a lot of celebrities, a lot of musicians, and he would have them come and perform live on his show. Ed Sullivan first deemed uh, Elvis uh, too hot for family viewing, and he would not book him for his television program. Uh, <laughs> Elvis had the nickname Elvis the Pelvis because of his gyrating hips. Um, but what ended up happening is Elvis booked a spot on another TV show and it scored uh, these huge top ratings for the uh, TV channel. And so Ed Sullivan was like, okay, well, you know, I guess, you know, I should do this because it will help make me money. And so he offered $50,000 for three appearances that Elvis would make on his show. And so um, Elvis first appeared on his show, I believe, in like 1956 or so. And it was seen by 60 million people. And remember, this is a lot seeing that, you know, the number of TVs that I told you earlier, it was in 50 million households. So this is like 80% of uh, Americans' TV owners. But <laughs> his, his hips were considered um, just outrageous, all of the movements. And you can go and watch this performance uh, on YouTube, or you can watch his hound dog performance with him and his guitar and how he's just throwing his hips and his head around and moving his feet and his legs. Um, and so this episode of the Ed Sullivan Show actually horrified parents and the press, but the youth, of course, all the teenagers, thought it was really cool. And so this is really what made Elvis a star. 
And so by the time Elvis appears for the third time on Ed Sullivan's show, which was in January of 1957, Elvis is only shown from the waist up. <laughs> they censored out <laughs> Elvis's hips and his all of his gyrating <laughs> and only showed him from the waist up. So I think that's going to be about it for today. This uh, episode is a little bit shorter, seeing that it's right after um, Christmas. I've had a lot of things going on. And so one thing I wanted to tell you guys about is that I am on Twitter now. I have a fairly new Twitter page. My Twitter handle is at Soda Pop Chronic. Not Soda Pop Chronicles, but Soda Pop Chronic. My page on Twitter is called Soda Pop Chronicles. So if you want to get uh, in touch with me for any reason, or if you have suggestions for my show, I would love to hear them. Um, you can tweet at me there. This is the best way to reach me. I would love to talk to you guys. Please, please, please come and, and, and talk to me. And I would absolutely love it if you left me a review on iTunes. This really helps other people find me. Uh, and my show. And if you leave a review or you tweet at me, I may just give you a shout out on the air. I've, I've done that before. And this is great, especially if you have a, a podcast of your own or if you have a specific brand or company. Uh, anyway, I would love for you to do that. Also, coming up on January 13th, it is Friday the 13th. <laughs> And so I'm going to have a podcast all about America's suspicious past. You know, why are there no 13th floors um, and buildings and certain things like that. And so if you have any stories about Friday the 13th, maybe something weird happened to you on Friday the 13th, or if you have any strange superstitions, uh, you can tweet these stories to me at Soda Pop Chronic on Twitter. I would love to compile some before January 13th that I could share them on the air because uh, I, I would like to feature some of you guys. So um, please do that if you have the chance. And so um, I want to thank you for watching the show. And um, now every time you listen to Elvis, you can think of him as Elvis the Pelvis. <laughs> And remember, guys, don't eat the radioactive roast beef.